Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Lowe Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Spark Parade, where I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration. I'm Adam Ons. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, this week is huge, okay? My guest is none other than Texas frontwoman Charlene Spiteri. That alone is unbelievable and exciting, but Charlene's spark of inspiration is Vim Vender's film Paris, Texas, which is her band's namesake. According to Charlene, this is the first time in an interview that she's really dug into her relationship with this film and the profound effect it's had on her, on the band, on her entire career and life. So uh, I think I can legitimately classify this conversation as an exclusive. But seriously, I had so much fun chatting with Charlene. She is an utter delight. So get ready for a fun episode. And uh, who wants to wait for fun? So let's get to it. Quick Charlene facts. Charlene Spiteri is a singer and songwriter who has been the lead singer of the band Texas since 1988. Texas have had tremendous international success over the course of their multi-decade career, selling upwards of 40 million albums. And they will release their brilliant 10th studio album, High, next week on May 28th. Quick Paris, Texas facts. Paris, Texas is a 1984 road movie directed by Vim Vendors and starring Harry Dean Stanton, Dean Stockwell, Nastasia Kinski, and Hunter Carson. The plot focuses on a vagabond named Travis, played by Harry Dean Stanton, who, after mysteriously wandering out of the desert in a dissociative fugue, attempts to reunite with his brother, played by Dean Stockwell, and seven-year-old son, played by Hunter Carson. After reconnecting with his son, Travis and the boy end up embarking on a voyage through the American Southwest to track down Travis's long-missing wife, played by Nastasia Kinski. And there you have it. Now that we've cleared all of those expository hurdles, let's get to the good shit. Here comes my chat with the incomparable Charlene Spiteri about Paris, Texas. Do you remember seeing this movie for the first time? Yeah, I remember seeing it um, and literally thinking oh my God, I've never seen anything like this because the, the combination of the visual and the sound was so different hand in hand. You know, you had the, the soundtrack by Ry Cooder that was, you know, this really big, sparse. When I say big, I don't mean grand. I just mean big. And it was like, <gasps> I hadn't heard anything like that apart from, you know, elements of stuff like that on old blues records, but I had never heard um, a soundtrack that sounded like that. And I love 
movie soundtracks and I was like, oh my God, this is spectacular. But also um, the the sound of the voices mm-hmm. in it, the, the way the, the spoken word was recorded, it almost sounded like it had this really old, a valvey, dictaphone kind of sound and that you could hear like, glitches and and breath and everything in it um it hadn't been cleaned in any way and I was just like oh my god I love I love that because that was as well what you heard when you heard the the soundtrack as well because you could literally hear the bottleneck against the strings and the the touch and the the feel and the the um the whole sound of the movie alongside the visuals had such a feel to it and such a nothing that I had seen before and, and or heard before hand in hand and and that was for me the thing that that really I was like wow this is this is just beautiful I remember just thinking how beautiful it was like all around the story the visual the sound everything just thinking this this has really really touched me like really really deeply and 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 I can't stop thinking about it and it's funny because I still you know all these years later I mean what, what was it 1983 84 84 84 it was 1984 you know I, I was still I was still a hairdresser at the time and um I hadn't met Johnny yet um who's my partner and bass player in Texas and it was funny because when we met, that was, that was our, we didn't know each other. And that was our connection was Paris, Texas, the movie like we had, we spoke about it in great lengths and about the soundtrack and about visually and about the feelings that we felt when we saw it. And we both realized that we had this massive love of cinema and, you know, that real big cinematic sound as well. And that was it for us. We just went, right, we're going to have a band. We're going to be called Texas. And it's going to be based on, you know, the the first record that we, the first song we wrote was I Don't Want a Lover from our album Southside. And it was, you know, inspired by the movie Paris, Texas. You know, and I was, the, I was, it was the week before my 18th birthday when we wrote the song. And it's funny because that movie basically has given me, you know, the life that I have now, mm. which I would never have imagined when I first saw it. But I knew that that movie was something that was going to stay with me forever. I mean, I still think about the movie now and I still, I still reference it visually and sonically all the time. Right. And, and it's, it's amazing. You know? Yeah, I, I, you know, I talk to people about all different kinds of art, and um, art has affected people in all different kinds of ways. So sometimes people just talk about things that it's like you know a movie they liked for just because it's a nice memory. Um, but I yeah. always really love it when it's like that direct connection that it's so clear how this piece of art has affected you massively. I mean, massively. I mean, I knew Vin Vendors and and I knew his work. By that point, and, you know, like going on, to, you, you know, like Wings of a Desire and everything, which is one of, alongside Parasex, this is one of my all-time favourite movies. Uh, he had, he has as a director this unbelievable knack of breath. Mm. He has this amazing, you, you know, there's a lot of air within his movies and what he, what he creates. You know, you can, you can really feel a rhythm mm-hmm. and you know and, and and that's what's in music i mean that that's alongside you know that's why you know you have hit records because that breath and that 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 heartbeat touches people and touches the public and then you connect with it but i feel that with Vendor's movies and you know if you look 
stylistically, like the style and the, and, and the, you know, if you look at something like Wings of Desire and you look at Paris, Texas, you know, what they look like is very different, but they are absolutely 100% being pulled together stylistically and um, uh, styling wise. You can see the dress, the, 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 the little things that you can see that have, that have, have massively influenced people like Wong Kar Wai and yeah. Wes Anderson. You know, you look at a Wes Anderson movie, and you can see Paris, Texas written all over a Wes Anderson movie. Things like lunchboxes and stickers and color and color blocks and Nastasia Kinski and the pink jumper and the red room with the phone. And the, you look at all the mm. colors and you look at the, the, the dashes of color within Heidi Stanton's hat when there's the red and the little boy um, when he's he's always got a red he's got a red sock on or a red jumper on and there's there's all these little connections within the movie and that when you watch something the first time you just you're like whoa and then you watch it again and then you watch it again and again mm-hmm. and you see it years later and suddenly you notice things that you never saw the first time or you hear something or a sound or I just think that for anyone creative Paris, Texas has got to be one of the most influential, massive movies that you, you've, you know, actually, I know a lot of people credit it, but I don't think it even has enough credit that is due. I mean, we talk about looking at it from sort of like where it came from, maybe that it was massively uh, influenced by John Ford. And mm-hmm. um, you, you can see, you, you can see that kind of um, searchers feel to it and yeah. with the walking and the, you know, just that air and you can feel the dust and you can feel the dust in your skin when you're watching it but you know i i really think that Vin vendors as a, a filmmaker and, and and even just you know for for, for instance somebody like sam shepherd are you just people don't get the credit that you know they're really they're really really due and i think that that's that needs to maybe change <laughs> Yeah. I still think it's relatively underground, even though artists know it's not underground, but it's still as as a as a movie. You know, I, I, I funny I was working with a young film director doing a video, and she's she's really like she's really really amazing. And we were talking about references and talking things, and I was like, oh wow, you've just actually got that kind of like your color things with the Paris Texas thing. And she was like, I've never seen Paris Texas, and I was like, <laughs> you know that thing when you get really jealous of somebody mm. because of because you know they're going to see it for the first time and you think oh my god it is just yeah it's just an incredible movie but then again i feel that way whenever i've not seen it in a good few years and i go back and watch mm-hmm. it again and i go oh it's still as beautiful and as romantic and wonderful and painful as i remember it yeah yeah i was also just like t- going back to um a couple little things you touched on this idea of to, to me, it's a movie about space, about, mm. uh, you know, physical space, the American Southwest, um, just, you know, these beautiful open desert vistas, space musically, like Rykuder's Ry music, yeah. having this kind of country soundtrack, but, you know, just a note, like just little musical phrases giving giving space to you know and again as you said breath giving space to breathe literally and figuratively and then also you know the space between people the way that people relate to each other relationships um all that kind of stuff and um 
I think with Sam Shepard's work, because he was primarily a playwright, you don't have the space for that kind of patience, that kind of pause in the theater because people are yeah. sitting there in front of you that there's like an expectation of action. You can, you know, it can be slower paced, but uh, you don't have the ability to like pan across the desert or something. Ab- absolutely. You know. um, so in, in a, uh, a film like this, just really allowing Sam Shepard's work. And I mean, I know he, you know, co-wrote the the script. Uh, uh, yeah, of course. But uh, the, I think part of the co-writing process is just like giving his work the space to allow those breaths, to allow like a bit more of uh, an expansiveness. Absolutely. I mean, it's quite interesting that you say that because it's almost like when, when you know, when you do hear it, um, when you do see it and you do hear the sound of it, you can hear really strongly the way that Sam Shepard speaks. Mm-hmm. You know, because Sam Shepard is an actor. Let's 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 take away from let, let's move away from Paris, Texas. But if you watch Sam Shepard as an actor, Sam Shepard is always like his approach is very it is very slow, and mm-hmm. it is it, it does have a lot of space. He's quite happy to sit back on something and just kind of wait that he feels that the moment to deliver something is exactly right. And he does so in that way. And it's for me, it was always something that made him really stand out as an actor mm. um, as well as a writer. Um, he's he, even the way the guy walks, you mm. watch him walk. Mm-hmm. And Sam Shepard's a guy that's never like, he, you just don't ever imagine that he's in a rush. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just like, I'm going to get there but I'll get there in my own time. And and that's really what Paris, Texas is. You know, the, the moments where, where Travis, the character says, you know, is that a long time? You know, when his brother first picks him up and he says, you've been gone four years. And he's like, is that a long time? Hmm. He questions time at that point. No. He's questioning to him. It's not relevant in anything that's happened, even though at the point where he then sees his son again, and then he wants to find, and it's like, time then starts to come into his life and and he starts to realize about time and that it's time that this this you know that hunter needs to see his mother mm-hmm. and that there might not be that much time that he can make that happen and that he could try and help and sort that out so then it's weird it's like you begin with nothing but then it becomes so important mm-hmm. and it's about his his space and time in his head as well and everybody else's space and time like you know just how they'd forgot what had happened to them yeah. really in a way it's like they had kind of i guess maybe what, what we do sometimes is when something maybe has been so traumatic that we put it away to wait way 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 to the back of our head and sometimes it takes a lot of time for those things to come out and is to find them or to remember them sometimes we we've chose not to remember them and suddenly something triggers it and you go oh god that i remember that happened in my life and da 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 so that's what's so wonderful about it and I guess that's maybe why the story continue as a movie it continually changes if it's in your life and as a as an artist and as a writer maybe as you go older you know your perspective on time and your perspective on relationships and I guess when you become a parent and all those things change so you know you can your perspective changes on the movie as well mm-hmm. yeah yeah. I also, the New York Times review of this movie, which was a little sniffy um, at the time. This is the, was the, it? the review um, when That's it first came out. That's why you should out. never read reviews. Yeah. 
Um, but there's one line that really stood out to me, which is Sam Shepard's method is to distill from ordinary experiences and feelings a reality that is so dense it appears to be surreal. And I think there's an element of that, like that, that really rings true to me that it's like so like the the pacing feels like real life, but there's something that's like a dream. It's like, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And I get exactly what they're saying. It's almost that it's so he, he expands on something that's so ordinary that, and so I guess normal and maybe everybody else would rush through it to tell that, that, that little bit, sometimes little you know the 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 finer details are are the things that he focuses on and sometimes when we don't focus on the finer details then we kind of like forget about it but maybe that's why why it feels so surreal is because it's the tiniest little thing that he'll focus on for such a long time that suddenly you think well it's really ordinary Hmm. but it it can't be because we're we're, we're, you know, we're visiting that for such a long time. So that makes it feel surreal at that point. You yeah. know, you kind of go, wow, I've never, I've never looked at it like that, which then makes you kind of think, God, this is really quite trippy in a way, mm. you know? Yeah. Just like paying attention to these kind of microscopic moments well, it's in like, life. It's, it's like, it's been, it's like being massively stoned and looking <laughs> at something for, yeah. you know, like if you're stoned, you sit looking at something and suddenly you're looking at it and looking at it and looking at it and looking at it. And what you see then becomes something because you're just taking every little piece of it in so in depth that maybe that's why it does feel really trippy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And kind of like, you know, the accumulation of all of those small moments makes you realize how enormous the world and life and, you know, it it makes you feel, you know, thinking about like greater metaphysical things out of these tiny moments. Yeah. So, yeah. Which the truth is, is most people are scared of. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe why they don't look at them like that is because they are scared of it. They are scared of feeling a certain way emotionally, feeling a certain way physically, feeling uncomfortable with a situation. And, you know, sometimes we kind of just rush through things and just because we don't want to you know we we don't want to see it you know sometimes we just like erase out things that that that, that um we have seen but we don't want to admit to ourselves that we've seen it yeah and and that's what you know that's what sometimes we're so busy just getting on with life that we're not really living it mm. and you know i think that's what what's been done in the writing i mean i think that's as well what you know somebody like vim benders does is if you look at all his work it, he literally takes again and everything that's so small you know i, I mean i know I, I i just think as a person he is unbelievably interesting he came to see us in a, a gig we played in um, berlin hmm. Um, and it was funny because we had actually gone to Los Angeles to play a concert. Um, and it was, it was just, it was while Southside was out in 1989 and Harry Dean Stanton came to the show at the Roxy. Oh, wow. And he took, it was Ali, our guitar player's birthday. And Harry Dean Stanton turns up at this show and he's like, guys, we'll go upstairs to the, so we're upstairs to the club above the Roxy. And we just hung out and we drank on like We've got this most amazing photograph of all of us with Harry Dean Stanton. Just like, like it's on my Instagram actually. It's like, cause I put it up there. I found it um, a few years ago and I was like, oh my God, that's like, for me, that's like 
you know, you're going through old photographs and suddenly you find a photograph of yourself and Harry Dean Stan, you're a bit like, <laughs> what the fuck? It's like, oh. and um, it's, it was just amazing. And he's there and we just hung out all night and we laughed and we talked and, and we were just thrilled that Harry Dean Stanton actually knew who we were and what we're about. Yeah. Jumped to like a few months later, maybe a year later and we're playing Berlin and then Vendors turns up <laughs> um, and he turns up with this friend of his who's a blind guy and he's just like, we're going to stand on the side of the stage and, and watch and listen to the show. And, and he was just this really interesting character that was just like, you could just see that when he looked at things, he was looking like way deeper and way farther than most people ever would. Hmm. And he was wonderful. And we it, it was great because years later, I mean, I think it was it was a few years ago, I think it was it was um Vim Vendor's um seventieth um birthday. They did a special anniversary record for him and it was it was Vim Vendor's friends and everyone was asked to put something on and we put out we did we recorded our lover and put a version of it on the album and there was only five thousand copies made it only came on vinyl. And you know we were just like totally blown away that we were even asked to do it. Yeah. And um you know it's funny because I guess probably Going back to the very first question you asked me, saying, do you remember the first time you saw Paris, Texas? God, it has had such a massive effect on my complete life, even with just meeting, Hmm. you know, these people and getting to know them and getting insights. And, you know, Rai Kudder, we we went, Rai Kudder was like, we hung out with Rai in in Glasgow. He was playing Glasgow and we went along to to, to uh, see the gig and of course we end up meeting them and yeah it's, it's just it's, it's so surreal talking about it because I guess it's that that situation again I've done exactly what we're talking about whereas I haven't spoke about you know people always go why are you call Texas and it's like well we love the movie Paris Texas and that was our connection when Johnny and I first met and you know formed the band but I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail hmm. You know, and for me, I'm I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here because I never, I knew it was an influence and I knew it was a big part of my life, but Christ, it's, it's actually a giant part of my life. <laughs> yeah. And it, just having those little echoes of it throughout your career and having those other experiences where it's just like keeps kind of flashing up. I mean, I guess, you know, having the name of your band as a reminder is is one big thing, but um, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Certain things in your life come up and come up and come up. And it's like, you know, the, the two things that come up in my life are Paris, Texas always comes up and, you know, the people surrounding Paris, Texas and, you know, actors, directors, people, playwrights, everything, you know, all these people keep coming round and round in, in, in your life. Um, and the other one for me is Serge Gansberg hmm. continually and people round about him and people that were in his keep coming round my band continually. And it's funny how certain things just, you know, when we first made our first record, Serge, Serge Gunsberg gave us our first ever platinum disc in France <laughs> and presented it to TV. And then we hung out with him. And then you, in fact, I do even know if it's like, it's funny because we've always kind of been influenced by cinema in France and America. And the, these, these worlds have continually cross-pollinated in our own in our lives as a as a band um france texas you know paris texas (laughs) yeah yeah. you know and it's just like it's 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 weird 
you know, mm. Jane Birkin keeps coming up and like I sang with Jane and did a duet mm. with her and um, you know, it's like um John Barry and who's married to Jane Birkin and all these people have just kept it's all kind of just went like this, like all these it's kind of like a almost like a movie in itself mm. of the the weird life of Texas in Paris, Texas. Yeah. And in a way, I mean, it reminds me of what you were saying about the influence of this movie that you can see in like uh, Wes Anderson's movies that it's like, you know, referencing, giving little flashes of um, the central idea throughout a film and instead having those little flashes of this film throughout your life. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, you look when you look at Paris, Texas, at the point where every time there's a like a costume change or whatever it is, you look at the background and you look at the the the, the styling within it and all the pieces that are sitting around the the way that they're they're almost like it's like a cut, it's like a Pantone color chart mm-hmm. each each section. And you know, Wes Anderson is that's you look at the way he styles things and what all the, the little details that are within that are all around the room and and Paris Texas really did that even you know that just you know the, there would be a specific kind of television with a specific chocolate bar sitting on it and the way the kid was sitting and he'd be dressed a really particular way yeah I, I just look at Wes's work and I mean I think he's amazing and I just think wow you know it's funny because I've never asked him the question I've never even had the discussion with him about um Paris, Texas, which absolutely the next time I see him, I'm pro- probably just going to go blah, 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 and vomit, you know, Paris, Texas to him and say, let's talk about Because, you know, we have these, I've had these amazing conversations with Wed- Wes Anderson about trains hmm. because I've got an obsession with trains as well and <laughs> open space. And yeah, just, but it, it's, it's a, you know, like musicians, songwriters and musicians and film directors, writers, any writers, any creative people, of of any form you normally find that they're quite um obsessive and geeky Mm -hmm. and yeah i I think it's just in your dna because you didn't fit in as a kid well i certainly didn't and maybe again that's why paris texas really really did touch me so deeply is because it is about not fitting in it is about kind of it didn't work so how do i find a way to make it work Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I create my own little world. Yeah. And, and you know, that really was kind of, for me, when I came out of school, I was really badly bullied and I just kind of created my own sort of protection, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and my way of expressing my feelings and emotions. And I couldn't, I, I did struggle with kind of putting anything into words, which I do struggle. I still struggle putting things into words. Yeah. I talk in color. I literally talk in colors. I'm like, blah, blah, blah. Um, but writing songs for me is like, you know, I see a movie when I'm writing a song for me, I see the pictures, see the, I see everything about it. I, I, it's, the pictures are so clear in my head of the scenario and the story, and that is thing comes into the words come from that. Yeah, and I think you know the there's a pretty clear link there. Having cinematic inspiration, um, you know, thinking in those terms, even though you're 
creating music. It's kind of like um, synesthesia, you know, seeing sounds. Well, or, yeah. yeah, it's funny because I do have synesthesia, mm. which I never knew I had until probably about 10 years ago. And I was doing a TV show and um, there was a kid on the show with synesthesia. It was a, it was a music show and they came on because they had all these specialists on. And they hadn't told us, but then when this kid started talking, I was like, oh, da 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 and literally they could see the like one of the doctors going. And then after the show, when we came off air, he says to me, I think you have synesthesia. And I was like, what? Really? And what is that exactly? And it's funny because I never knew what it was. And I didn't know that that wasn't how everybody else heard sound. Hmm. I just thought that's what, you know, when I hear certain sounds and certain things, I see color. Hmm. And I see the colors change and it moves and it sweeps and it goes hot and cold and la la la. And um, yeah, the colors become really strong to me. And it's funny because I wonder if the vendors have synesthesia. Hmm. Yeah. Because everything is on color blocks. Mm-hmm. It's a very clear color alongside the sound as well of what Ry Cooder has done within the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an amazing, um, I mean, I can't speak for uh, people who have synesthesia like yourself um, as, as to whether it's an asset or not, but um, being an artist, being able to think in those terms and like it, it engage with the work that you're creating in a way that is different to the way that other people do um, and be able to have this kind of, I don't know, it feels like a more holistic picture of what the music is if you're yeah. you're expanding beyond just hearing it. Mm. Yeah, I guess it's almost like seeing auras. Not that I can see auras, <laughs> but <laughs> but you know, it's like it is an amazing it is an amazing thing to. It's funny because it's like anything. It's like unless someone points something out to you that no one has said is any different. Mm. Um, then you just think that's what everybody sees. You know, it's that my sister has, um, she has astigmatism with her eyes, but she sees everything in wobbles. Mm. And she thought that until we found out when she was probably, she must have been about 11 or something. She just thought that's what everybody saw. Mm. And, you know, when you don't know any different, it's like, well, of course that's what, what it is. And, you know, it's 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 quite a strange thing when then someone points something out and you go, what is that? <laughs> Is that not what everybody? Ooh, okay. It's like, I thought that's what everybody heard. Yeah. You know, whenever we've, because no one pointed out all the years of making records, I drive, I drive engineers and producers nuts with colors. Mm. Like, I'll be like, oh my God, well, no, I mean, but it's not the right, the right tone. It's like, you look too blood red here. And I need you to kind of go more into like the oranges rather than blue reds. I need you to go. And they're literally, you can see them going, she's an arsehole. Like, I'm like, and, the, and my band like sorry she's on when she does this all the time and i'm like really? you know talking absolute junk <laughs> ah, that uh i i think that is a wonderful uh anecdote on which to end um <laughs> <laughs> i so appreciate this this was an absolute joy um oh really, my god really seriously i i loved it i was it's so lovely to just do Something that is not, you know, it's not like me just babbling on about how fucking wonderful I am. It's like (laughs) such a nice change. Mm. I'm like, it's just lovely to be talking about someone else's work Mm -hmm. that is relative to 
who you become and, and what you've become and what has basically enabled me to have the life that I have. And, and, you know, I'll be eternally grateful for that. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, just, it's just the excitement I have. And hopefully when people, you know, see this, just think, oh my God, I am absolutely going to go and watch this movie. And, you know, don't even listen to what we're talking about. Just go and watch the <laughs> yes. movie because yeah. don't have don't have any ideas before you've seen it. Just go in raw and watch Paris, Texas, and then come out and go, whoa, the world just changed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway. Um, thank you so much again. This was lovely fantastic. Lovely to speak to you. All right. And hopefully it'll go well. Okay, yeah. bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was incredible. I'm so, so grateful to Charlene for making time for me. Uh, the brand spanking new Texas album, High, is out next week on May 28th. So stream it, download it, buy it on cassette, consume it in the way that makes you feel most comfortable. Okay. Um, my little slice of artistic inspiration this week is, of course, the Gene Smart-led HBO Max comedy Hacks which with I am entirely obsessed. I can't ever get enough of Jean Smart, but she's so often relegated to supporting roles. She shines so brightly in those roles and she often steals the show, but but it's so exciting to see her in a really juicy leading role. Um, here is HBO's blurb about it. Hacks explores a dark mentorship that forms between Deborah Vance, a legendary Las Vegas comedian, and an entitled outcast 25-year-old. Uh, that's a uh, very skeletal description, but you should just watch it because it's so funny and I love it so fucking much and I want you to see it and you should turn it on the second that you're done listening to this podcast, which is essentially right now, because uh, that's all I got for you this week. Please tell a friend about this show. Just one. I'm not greedy. You'll be doing them and me a favor. And outside of that, have a fantastic week. Look both ways before you cross the street. And until next time... Bye. Hey there, Robo fans and Dino fans. Do you like science fiction? Do you like movies about robots and dinosaurs? Do you like podcasts that explore sci-fi philosophy through a fun and positive lens? Then you are going to love Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Every week, your host, Louis G., invites a guest onto the show to talk about one of their favorite sci-fi movies. It's a RoboCast. It's a DinoCast. It's a battle for ultimate awesomeness in science fiction pop culture. Subscribe to Robots vs. Dinosaurs on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes every Friday. Follow us on Instagram at RobosBDinos or Twitter at VsRobots. That is at VsRobots. Thanks for listening to the Apocalypse Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, go to ApocalypsePodcastNetwork.com. And remember, every time you support one of our sponsors, you're supporting the podcast you just heard. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.